0: this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. It's our virtual church classroom podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, and hosted by yours truly, Pastor Dan, with a lot of help from my lovely daughter, Bethany. Each week we study the Bible together in mind. Uh, Our hope is that through this virtual Bible study, you'll be able to participate more completely in the benefits of active involvement in a church community. But we genuinely hope that this will not take the place of your physical presence in a church community. Rather, we'd like to supplement that part of your life that you spend in the local church. You can do when you're away from the church. That's the idea behind this Bible study. So please... And if you happen to be in southwest Indiana, around Jasper, we'd love to join with you in worship each Sunday at Shiloh United Methodist Church. This week our act of worship, that is loving God and each other, is taken first from Psalm 7, and then we'll pray for one another psalm seven is a shagai on a shagaiyon. on that's a musical notation we don't really know what it means it's just something that uh, the translators put uh, in there as they reproduced its pronunciation in english language but it's a shagaiyon on of david which he sang to the lord concerning cush a benjaminite and uh, Shigaion could be thought of in the same uh, sense as that word Selah that appears quite frequently in the Psalms. So Psalm 7, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God if i have done this and there is guilt on my hands if i have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe then let my enemy pursue me and overtake me let him trample my time bleh, trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure in you the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is righteous. God is a righteous judge. A God who displays his wrath every day. He does not relent. He will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant uh, with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High.
1: my God in you I place my trust oh Lord my God in you I place my trust rescue me from those who persecute me and deliver me yeah yeah Or oh, they'll devour my soul like a lion tearing me is while my screams ring out in vain Oh my God, if I have done what they say If I'm the one
0: God, we come together again today to study your word, to learn what we can as the Holy Spirit enlivens our minds and our hearts and links us to your heart and mind. We join the psalmist in praying that our righteousness would be sufficient to justify your defense against our enemies. Yet we know, Lord, that the true enemy is Satan. And we know that in all that is evil in our world and the evil that affects our lives, it is from Satan. And so we thank you that you have, through Jesus Christ, defeated the enemy, though the battle is not quite over. And still some lingering skirmishes occur every day in our world. But Satan is no longer in control. No longer is Satan the leader of a rebellion, but rather a renegade on the loose, creating havoc wherever it will be possible. And so, Lord, give us the courage and the fortitude to storm the gates of hell that cannot stand against your body, the church. Help us to be that, Lord, as we face down our fears, our anxieties, and all the many things that we come to think of as we pray. Yes, we have hardship in our lives. There are those suffering right now who are listening to this. And so for them, we ask that you give courage and restoration of health and well-being. We pray for their families. We pray for their loved ones. We pray for the many things that they care about related to those same people. we join with them in praying for our country and our world and we ask lord that you reign supreme in all things and that we have the ability to recognize that when we watch the news or listen to the radio or anything else that might cause us to feel disturbed and lack confidence you are the god who has it all under control and we turn to your throne for mercy Amen. Well, I'm back with Bethany now for this week's discussion of the passages in our uh, reading. And we're still in Chapter 2 of Revelation, and we're on the third letter to the third church. And uh, Bethany's over there on the other side of my computer screen. Say hi, Beth.
2: Hello. There she
0: is. So we're good to go. We uh, We got a passage in front of us that we need to read. It's the uh, Jesus's letter to Pergamum, and uh, before we start reading about Pergamum, is there any historical grounding you'd like to give us to to uh, explain to folks where this church is and and kind of what its backstory is?
2: I, that that seems to be your I specialty. I know I'm I'm the history girl. Um. So here's what I learned about Pergamum. Pergamum is slightly inland. So we're, we're starting to move away from the sea, but not too far from the sea. It was like 16 miles inland.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: pretty close to the water still. Um, also on a river. So pretty strategic place and actually way strategic when you look at pictures. Um, not just on a river on one side, but also like, so it was the home of a pretty big Acropolis um which is like a big temple
0: i'm glad you said that i was going to suggest (laughs) we clarify what that is again just to be on the safe side so pretty
2: yeah so big and open air but but it was the home of a pretty big one and it was on a mesa and most of the city functioned around that so not only was it you know flanked on one side by a river but it was actually quite elevated um And I was just, I was telling you before we started that there, like, if you want to see something really cool, um, it had a pretty massive amphitheater that was on, like, a a cliff wall, basically, like, a kind of sheer wall that was part of this mesa. Um, It's the steepest one I've ever seen. It's pretty (laughs) amazing.
0: Kind of like Uh, when you go up in those nosebleed seats at the stadium and you think you're going to die when you walk down the stairs.
2: Worse, yeah, I think I would probably throw up if I was in that amphitheater. But part of me really wants to be in that amphitheater. Um, so it was, it, I think it must have been a pretty strategic place. Um, I didn't I didn't read a lot about it changing hands. Pretty much every city were, that we're covering changed hands at least somewhat because they almost all went from greek hands to roman hands at some point and then eventually to turkish hands mm-hmm. um, which would have really been like ottoman hands but um <clears throat> so they all they all have changed hands but this one hasn't
0: had and quite. we're referring to the ottoman empire and not that furniture that some of us have right. in our living room sorry <laughs> that dick van dyke usually trips over in the in, in the dick van dyke that's show. right that's so right. we're talking ottoman empire the people group uh, as a people group who eventually <laughs> got possession of the thing and now it's yes and, and yes and we ain't talking about birds so we we've covered right. all our bases there um i have in um, my notes that it was supposedly the place where zeus was born
2: yeah um yeah i think i mentioned way back when i gave the little brief version of some of this stuff about the cities. It was the center for the imperial cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, there was a temple to Trajan. Trajan is a Roman emperor, mm-hmm. and I won't give lots of information about him, but um, one of the Roman emperors.
0: And he, um, and- he was an emperor during the divided empire, right? I, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought, because there was a time... That's when Christianity really finally got a break because Constantine kind of came out on top of the other three usurpers or whatever, you know. I mm-hmm. guess the, the yeah, Victor writes the history, so you know. Right. But I was thinking Trajan was the was one of the four
2: I think so. Yeah.
0: Well anyway, uh, that that's just me so going off like, on a tangent. So
2: No, that's you know, I do that. Um <laughs> So there was there was a temple to him. Um, it was definitely a center for so Roma that I mentioned last week that um, Smyrna invented. Uh, there there was worship of Roma there, so they were also kind of like, hey, this god that we just made up, we're gonna we're gonna be fans of them too. Um, but interesting, I think, um, is that not only was there there were temples to Athena, to Zeus, to um, Dionysus and to i'm gonna butcher his name again um asclepius yeah asclepius i i know how to say it and i can't
0: asclepius Um, it was the
2: official center for him so a lot of people who were sick visited pergamum because they were they thought that if they visited that temple and did sacrifices there that they would be healed um but interestingly like People who were sick. A lot of a lot of people who were sick were turned away and weren't allowed to go in because they were sick, which is hilariously ironic to me.
0: Um, and there seems to be a connection because the the in the Greek tradition, I guess he is uh, he is depicted holding a a staff with or the caduceus, which. Is the symbol for the medical profession, and yet the medical profession will tell you it's not quite the same yeah. uh, symbol. But but there's a well, lot the one of people gets, confused about that.
2: The one it gets mixed up with is um, Hermes Caduceus because right. it had like it had two snakes on it, and right. this one only had one. And but the, there was there was this whole thing with snakes, um, and and I like snakes, but this is like some of it's real weird. Yeah, like snake snake worship and like. Um, like using snakes for healing thing, I don't I don't know. I think a lot of, of people
0: uh, a lot of people who have even the re- most remote biblical experience, um, even if that's just a Sunday school class when they were little bitty kids, you know, have it in for the snakes just because the Bible says a serpent, tempted adam and eve and it's so easy to think snake but there's a lot more to the story than that as you and i know but um but it's just interesting
2: they get a a bad rap
0: yeah so we're not mad at snakes for being snakes but uh we're mad at people who use snakes for uh satanic worship so you know
2: well and like i was not the snake's fault this this might be where some of that snake stuff comes from because it reminds me a lot of like um oh what's it called dad the the guys they're like the Appalachian guys that oh you know i don't do really know that. what
0: they call that but they're the they <gasps> they're the snake they're basically convinced that you're not filled with the holy spirit uh unless you can handle poisonous snakes and not be yeah killed, snake you handling know? snake so, handling but then, you know, there are people who don't mess with poisonous snakes, but they don't think you're filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. And so, you know, everybody's got traditions that prove that you're real deal, and, and that's kind of interesting in itself. But here's something yeah. interesting, though, about this Asculapius. Um, he is is thought to be the son of Apollo and of the virgin uh corn noise hmm. and I think that's interesting because this place as we're going to find out uh, doesn't score very well and history seems to support Jesus's uh, opinion and it's kind of interesting because there's a there's an underlying theme that I think that exists in that in that particular reality is it's the central place of pagan religion. And there's a tradition associated with uh, Asculapius that he was born of a virgin and a god. Um, It would be really easy for people with the Christian faith to go in there and tell the story of Jesus and then have it uh, either rejected because it wasn't anything new or have it perverted in some way. uh, so that it may have been a lot harder for the church at pergamum to really get a strong foothold it it's interesting mm-hmm. and it's interesting because as when we read the passage we realize Jesus is talking about this a place where se- where satan is is you know has has got a you know, he's got a, a summer cottage there or something. I mean, he's, he's coming on a regular basis. He's got a place to stay in Pergamum, and it's kind of interesting that Jesus would point that out. Yeah. Um, so this this pagan worship is far more extreme, it would seem, than the other two letters or churches that we've heard about so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, and, and, and that's kind of supported by the way the stories read, because if you read um, – if you read, if you just look back at the churches we've looked at so far, including today's, basically you have uh, Ephesus, that's a great political center, and you have uh, Smyrna, that's a great commercial center, and then Pergamos is a great religious center. So which which is the one that is the most uh, perverted and the most unlikely to uh, re- repent and turn uh, to God? Well, maybe the one where the religion is the the big thing. I don't know. So you're going to say something.
2: Well, and not to almost maybe get myself in trouble, but it was also a major political hub. And I'm just saying politics always ends up with nasty. Well,
0: I, I personally believe that this whole thing of, you know, we shouldn't mix religion and politics is sort of absurd. And, if you took me just at that you might take issue with that but I happen to believe that um, there are lots of religions out there that don't have anything to do with Jesus or Satan. They are religions because they are ideologies that people are dedicated to and willing to die for and some are political ideologies and some are theoretical or scientific ideologies and some are religious in nature in that they are associated with an unseen God uh, for whom we're willing to die. You know? But the reality is, is people behave the same way when they are living for an ideology and trying to defend their ideology and to uh, repel or reject other ideologies. And if mm-hmm. you put it in those broad terms, there's a lot of ideologies out there. I mean, there's a religion of evolutionism. And there's a religion of republican or conservatism. And there's a religion of, of uh, democratic or uh, liberalism. And there's a religion called progressivism nowadays. And, and these are religions— they're ideologies that people are willing to fight and die for and willing to condemn those who oppose them over. And, you know, they're still trying to burn heretics. They just have a different ideology that they consider you opposed to. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of why I think the whole idea of trying to keep politics and religion separated is a joke. Um It's really just a way to suppress the people that you disagree with on either side, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're probably right. This is a political issue at the end of the day, as much as it is a religious issue in Pergamum. Well, so uh, yeah, let
2: me add another layer. Not only were there temples to Greek gods and Roman rulers and such, there was also a temple to Serapis. Serapis was the Egyptian god of also healing and the underworld. So I'm just thinking this town, they were just really, like, they just, they were they were willing to take up with anybody they thought was going to help them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because now, of all, like it's Turkey.
0: But it's- isn't it interesting that you say that, and yet you were telling me before we started that you had some reservations about this image of a uh illegitimate marriage uh right that one of the contemporary uh, uh commentators had suggested and yet you've sort of said that that they are kind of people who will basically uh you know, divorce the latest God in, or divorce the current God in favor of the latest God, whatever that is, right. you know. Um, and so they're really just jumping from one bedroom to another, so to speak, and not mm-hmm. really devoting themselves for life to anything in particular. Well, and anyone. just so
2: you know, my only issue was that I couldn't find any other evidence that that is something
0: that the name means i got you i got
2: like i think it's a cool idea i just i'm too i'm too schooled dad
0: i understand (laughs) because in my
2: brain i'm like if i can't find two sources
0: and i'm getting a little ahead here but the um uh i guess one thing i can say is that that the uh 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 just kind of having trouble with my train of thought suddenly, is is that it's actually more in their historical context uh, over the long haul that I guess would be uh, where this commentator is going with that. If you look, for example, at Pergamum's history after Christ's uh, report card on them, the interesting mm-hmm. thing that you discover is, is that... Um, they went through a period where their leaders tried to force them into one religion or another, including Christianity. And uh, there's a story about a certain uh, leader who was named Theodosius in 378 and, uh, through 395 who made Christianity the state religion, and he pretty much forced everybody in town to go to church even if they were complete heathens who didn't have any belief in it at all. So uh, there is a sort of perverted religion there or perverted Christianity that existed. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like filling the pews for the numbers and not so much for the saving of souls. Anyway, well, maybe we better read the passage and see where we go with that. Did you have anything else you wanted to contribute before we read?
2: Um. I well. I guess the one thing I would say, because just because I think it's a good juxtaposition against Smyrna, we talked about Smyrna being a pretty thriving major city in Turkey today. Yeah. Pergamum is not. Um. the The actual Pergamum is pretty much an archaeological site. There's there is a current city called Bergama, that is pretty close to Pergamum and is probably an offshoot, but. The actual Pergamum is more or less an archaeological site. It's not a thriving city. Um, and it's definitely not a Christian city.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's all Muslim over there at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Boy, the allergies are messing with me today. Uh,
2: and according and according to the etymology that I looked up, the name Pergamum means citadel
0: of so, I mean, makes, it's a fortress. Yeah, yeah. And and when you talk about its topography, that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, they, they did a lot of earth moving in those days, but they preferred to start with something that was already naturally uh, sort of predisposed to their needs. So, yeah. well, all right. So I, I think we should look at the passage now. And um, as we do, we want to look for certain things here um there's a reference to satan there that i think we're going to have to talk about there's a um uh there's a reference to a guy named balaam and Mm -hmm. uh or balaam and Mm -hmm. uh so we have certain things that we've got to deal with but let's let's read the passage let's see i i had you read it last week so i guess i should do it this week i i don't know if anybody's keeping score but you know try to switch off Some, i think you read last week oh well then you should probably read you do it better than i do anyway so I, go ahead well, knock it out okay. of the park we're okay. looking at revelation to starting at verse 12
2: to the angel of the church in pergamum write these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword i know where you live where satan has his throne Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrifice to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you, have, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it.
0: All right. Boy, this one's got some mysteries in it, and we and we probably should have gotten to it sooner. But anyway it's juicy. Yeah. Um so first he says these are the words of him who comes with the double edged who's who's who has the double edged sword which is a uh a reference to his word. Um Jesus's word, the word of God, the logos is called in scripture the two edged sword, meaning that no matter which way you swing it it's going to cut something.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, and it's sort of a way of describing some absolute, um, authority in, in that, that it's, it's outcome of it is certain. So, um, with that in mind, we hear a, a kind of threat and it's, a uh, basically a, a statement of that, um. You know i know where you live <laughs> you know I, remember... I don't think
2: it's kind of a threat i think it's a threat
0: yeah yeah like i see you <laughs> you know um i remember when i was driving a school bus uh years ago in oklahoma and and i was only about 19 or 20 at the time and there's kids that would be on that bus who would get really mouthy with me and give me a hard way to go and and uh as uh, as they would get off the bus, and, you know, this was 1981 or two, and I, you know, you could get away with this in 81 or two. I just look at the kid and say, you know, you better watch your mouth. I know where you live, and what I do in my own time is my business, and that usually brought an end to the problem really fast. Now yeah. it would
2: bring it into your job as bus driver. Right? Well,
0: you're you're right. It would. Uh, <laughs> these are different times, but in those days, it was a real simple problem to resolve. I know where you live. <sighs> you know, so here's Jesus saying, "I know where you live." And well,
2: uh, and something that I was reading was talking about the use of the word throne. Uh huh. Because I, I guess in in the days that this was written. Throne was not just like a king sitting on a throne it was basically like the seat of whoever was the head of that household was called the throne right um so it's not just saying like satan's there and like satan's running things he's the head of the ta- like the household
0: yeah yeah
2: um not just that he's there but like he's definitely in charge which i think is interesting <laughs>
0: And, you know, I, I made a joke about it, you know, saying kind of a threat. But you're right. It's a statement of absolute certainty because it comes from the Lord.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
0: the other thing that's being said with absolute certainty is Satan is running things there. Right. Jesus is saying so. No one, No one's deceiving Jesus. And, you know, I think that's a really good word for today because there are a lot of really evil things and evil people out there who are doing evil things, and they will work very hard to mask what they're doing and couch it in terms that make it sound like they're doing good. They'll say they care about certain people groups or certain types of circumstances. They'll they'll sound like everything they're doing is about compassion. But the truth is, is that when the Holy Spirit guides our minds or when the Lord is listening, there's no problem for the Lord to say, uh, "You ain't fooling me," right? And you're not fooling my people. What they hear. <laughs> is a lie and they know it's a lie and they know that Satan is the one who's really in charge here. It's still the same. And that hasn't changed. It's just that the Pergamums are, are still around. They're still uh, being governed. And and the sad thing is, is that I've been in this religion business long enough to know that there, there are plenty of, of religious systems and church people and church clergy and so forth who are, really subjected to Satan, whether they are aware of it or not. Some are just blind to it. Um, Some have been so convinced by the lie that they think the good they are doing is honoring God when in fact it's exactly the opposite, which is where this passage takes us next if you think about it, because he says... Mm -hmm. He says, Satan lives there, but there are people among you who are still true to my name. You don't renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of the persecution of Antipas, who was killed for not renouncing Jesus. Yeah. Where Satan lives, you know. So you can be a Christian in a town, in a home, in a place, even a church that's being uh overwhelmed by the power of Satan and you will not go unnoticed by Jesus. He sees mm-hmm. it and he honors you. So but,
2: but I think it's interesting that in the same like nearly the same sentence, I mean like two sentences apart, he points out again, Satan's here. Yeah. Like yeah. clear like that's important because he's saying it multiple times.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm tempted to use an analogy that may be uh, uh, problematic, but it's like that movie, The Sixth Sense from, gosh, how that's been a long time ago now.
2: Yeah. But,
0: you know, the little boy says, I see dead people. Nobody else can see them. But he sees them. Now, I'm not putting Jesus anywhere on the same plane, but it just sort of popped into my mind because it's like it's like Jesus is saying over and over again, doesn't matter whether you can see him or not. He's there. He's here. I see him. He's there.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, uh, and, and Jesus is announcing that. Um, and then he says, um, let's see. There are some of was, you. Oh, sorry. No, that's all right. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, I'd like to point out that there's a sermon tie in here because um, it it says faithful witness. And you were talking about how witness actually means martyr. Yeah. yeah. In your sermon.
0: Thank you. So there you go. Thank you very much. I listen. I listen. Well, you even sent me a nice compliment on the sermon this (laughs) week. And I thank you for that. Uh, we won't say where you went to church that week but you said it was better than the one you heard (laughs) i was
2: pretty snarky about my service but
0: but but it's not like we're trying to compete or anything they had something else on their agenda i guess but yeah um but yeah so so he is he's a faithful witness and it cost him and that further supports the image that I tried to get people to see in the message last Sunday. So Mm -hmm. verse 14 says, you know, yeah, guys, but I do have a few things against you. And he said, there are some of you who hold to the teaching of Balaam and Balak. Do you have anything on those two guys that you want to share?
2: Well, okay. Is this the same one from earlier in the book? Well, Like, not Revelation, like the book, book, Bible book. In the
0: Bible, yeah. Um, It it seems to be either a reference to a sort of cult of Balaam, um, or Balaam, which could be the case, or it may be that Jesus, again, is using sort of a general figurative term, kind of like when he says that the seven churches that he's writing to really exist, but they also represent kinds of churches— and even kinds of persons.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So this could be like that, where, cause, because we have Balaam is mentioned in Joshua as a soothsayer, then he's mentioned in Deuteronomy in Mesopotamia, and he's also mentioned uh, as being by the Euphrates at Aram in Numbers. And in, in all of those cases, he's sort of a false prophet or a... A uh a soothsayer or something like that. His, uh, he's he's got a gimmick going, but for some reason, he seems to be capable of deceiving the Christians or or in the case of the Old Testament, the Israelites. And the sort of literary style here, suggests that it's the deceiver that we're talking about here. So what is Satan's first and most notable crime in the Bible? Um, I mean, chronologically speaking, he deceives <laughs> Adam and Eve, right? Yep. And what is it that uh, Balaam is famous for? Deceiving believers. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of goes along with one of the things Jesus says in the Gospels when he tells people that in those days you got to be really on your game or you're going to be deceived you know Jesus warned us when he was alive before the resurrection death and resurrection he said you guys got to watch out in the last days there will be deceivers and they're going to be good mm-hmm. and and so here's Jesus saying to the Pergamum, you guys have got to watch it because you've fallen prey to this kind of Balaam-ism or this Balaamism. you know, this this buying into a deceiver's uh, almost truthful, you know. They always say the best lies are the ones that are mostly true. Right. And and so someone apparently has been saying some things that sound pretty dang good, and yet Jesus is calling them out. He's saying, don't forget, Satan's in charge there. And this is a very sophisticated lie that you're buying into, and that's kind of the same way with the mention of Balak. Um, Balak is is a guy mentioned in the uh, Old Testament, and this is a guy that I really like, uh, and I should say Balaam. But this is the same guy who was walking his, riding his donkey, and the donkey could see the angel of the Lord, and this guy was too stupid or too blind or something to see it. And, and so there's a sense that, that he is, is the type of person who has all the information but no faith. So that, That's that,
2: kind of who I thought it was. Yeah,
0: and, and so basically Balaam's ass, his donkey, is better able to see the truth than Balaam himself or Balaam. So, so yeah, we're talking about a deceiver who is also himself deceived. And if you really think about it, that's the kind of person Satan really gets a lot of purchase with. Because this is a person who is so thoroughly deceived by Satan that, that they then go on to deceive others. And, and it's actually a pretty pretty common story arc in, uh, in movies and things. I'm thinking in, in all the, a lot of the different movies you and I have watched uh, you know, and talked about, there's often a character who kind of turns to the wrong side because they're convinced that something is wrong with the right whatever that is and in the end they realize they were wrong they were deceived you know yeah and they repent of their betrayal you know yep so it's a pretty common story arc and that's kind of what we're seeing here is this this uh this very dangerous and slippery slope um seems altogether appropriate to call it that on the place that's built on a plateau (laughs)
2: With, yeah. the, with
0: the stadium that's so dark on steep you can't hardly walk up and down and so these people are living in a dangerous place where there's a deceiver who is so thoroughly deceived that he can convince others too that seems to be what that's about mm-hmm. and they and it fits with
2: some of the historical stuff we heard
0: yeah it does well you know uh and we can only guess but If there was a cult there of a uh, son who was born to a virgin and a god, you know, then this is where some of the – no, I don't want to say that. Um, It is around these same times that some of the heresies that the early church dealt with emerged. And the Mm -hmm. heresies in those days were mostly around the nature of the Christ. Uh, The physical nature, the spiritual nature, you know, was he really human? Was he, you know, these are a lot of those, a lot of those various heresies were born around that time. And it's because people were trying to incorporate the Jesus story into other stories they were already comfortable with. And that's where the lie is so dangerous because you take... Elements that are truthful about Jesus and you sort of fit them into a pagan ideology and Mm -hmm. and and so the church became very organized and and uh, tried to be very effective at putting down heresy and uh, And of course, you know over time the church got full of itself and authoritarian And then it was a problem in itself, but but this is a pattern with humanity So, uh, looking at uh, the next part, it it looks like they're dealing with Nicolaitans again. And, uh, you know, these are basically kind of Sunday morning Christians or so, (laughs) you could say. Um,
2: I have a question about that name. Yeah? So, the uh, Left Behind series, which is great for entertainment purposes. Right. The... You know this. You've read them. The Antichrist and that the bad guy. Yeah, his name is Nikolai. I
0: I'm like- I'm sure that Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins knew what they were doing when they said that. I just uh, wondered. Tim LaHaye was a brilliant Bible scholar. He died several years ago, but he was quite a that. brilliant Bible scholar. Um, and uh, you know, Jerry Jenkins is a is a fiction writer. <laughs> And, yeah. and uh, I met Jerry Jenkins actually several years ago, um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, irrelevant. But, but yeah, I think they knew what they were doing. I think that was, was just curious. calculated use. Yeah. Um, so we have um, a statement. I'm keeping this moving because I'm watching the clock here. Um, he So Jesus says in verse 16, repent, therefore, otherwise... Because soon I'm coming to fight against you with the sword of my mouth. So it's interesting because he's coming to bring down the truth, bring down the truth on on the head of Satan, basically. Um, Truth is going to win the day. It's kind of interesting because, you know, he's not talking yet about his triumphal return to earth as the victorious, um, you know, second coming. He's saying that that you guys have got to start getting your story straight and understanding what the truth is, because by way of the Holy Spirit, apparently, Jesus has every intention of bringing truth to that situation, and uh, truth is what, what defeats Satan every time, and um, you know, the truth will set you free. I mean, this is like one of the most fundamental concepts of all time, and so Satan is going to be defeated by the truth. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, the next thing he says is, is, "Who has ears, let him hear." The Spirit, that is the same Holy Spirit we've been talking about, says to the churches, "To the one who is victorious, I will I will give some hidden manna." I will also give that person a white stone and a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Well, so hidden manna. Um, this is this is something I've looked at today a little bit, and there are several commentaries um, that uh, we could uh, refer to, and they all have different ideas about this, and no one really knows for sure what it means, but hidden manna seems to refer to the manna that is hidden in a jar inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the and, and I don't think he means literally, but it's sort of a, a uh, reference to this, uh, the meaning. Uh, there's a lot of Christian meaning that you can extract from the image of the Ark of the Covenant, and that's a whole other study. It's a remarkable study. And... There is a strong belief among Christian scholars and, and historians and theologians and so forth, and many of them really believe that the Ark of the Covenant will eventually reemerge um, in the end times as a sort of symbol of the truth of the Bible, and, and it'll be one of those things that really sets the record straight, you know. Um, but But – I think what he's really driving at here and what the commentaries I've read suggest is that um the manna in the jar that's inside the Ark of the Covenant was put there as a permanent memorial to how God always provided for them and always met their needs. And so mm-hmm. in this case Jesus is saying, if you stay the course and you emerge victorious, I will provide for you. Everything will be okay. Um, That seems to be the suggestion. And then the white stone is kind of interesting because there are two different things I read about that. Um, One is, is that literally it was customary for someone to have their name engraved in stone and put in a particularly on a white piece of marble and then it was sort of, you know, it's sort of like it's it's kind of like when you get the corner office and they put your nameplate on the door, and it sort of suggests that you've arrived at a special place and you're you're an important person because you have an engraved nameplate. So it's that kind of idea. Gotcha. Uh, in, in the Roman tradition, that would have been how they marked the house of a big official or somebody. You know, it would have had an engraved white stone. But another interesting interpretation I read was that back in the days of Rome, uh, when juries were deliberating over the guilt or innocence of a person, they would cast either a black stone or a white stone in the bag uh, to represent either guilty or innocent. Obviously, the white stone represented innocence. And so another possibility is that Jesus is using this reference to say, I will count you innocent. Because like you that. stood firm, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. so that may be what these white stones are referring to, but it's not a hundred percent certain in any case, but there are a lot of interesting commentaries about it. So uh well, we did manage to cover the whole passage at least. Um so what else? Is there anything else we want to talk about? The uh,
2: um <laughs> you mentioned the Ark of the covenant and we were talking about nazis earlier so now i just really you know well you know, okay I'm,
0: let's go no there. I, I
2: well that's i was gonna say i just really want to dial up raiders of the lost Ark on my tv later but
0: well what's interesting is, is you've mentioned something that i uh i wanted to talk about and and just because i've always i'm always interested in in uh revelation especially it's kind of fun to throw in some really bizarre thing you know like sometimes we talk about yes. doc, doctor who's box but but at the same time um there is an interesting correlation <clears throat> between the satanic nature of pergamum or pergamos one is a neuter neutral version of the pergamos pergamum is a neuter or gender unspecific name for the community and pergamos is the masculine form of the name of the community and they, and they were yeah. interchangeable. So, but anyway, um, you mentioned, and it was
2: probably derived from King Priam of Troy. It's like a, it's like <clears throat> a, yeah, I can't think of an appropriate, I can't think of an appropriate word. Um,
0: sort of a title. <laughs> the
2: only, well, the only word that comes to mind is not appropriate. So,
0: okay. All right. Well,
2: <laughs> it's, well, I, I mean, it is. I guess it's okay to say, but Pergamum is like a bastardization of Priam.
0: I got you. I got you.
2: So I guess it's appropriate because it's a different way to say it.
0: Well, we're among oh. friends, and you right. we're not using that word in a in a I'm not, unseemly I'm not
2: bad. way. But, but
0: um, and, and there's been good. an underlying theme here of Ill- illegitimacy. Anyway, by the way, in this right. in this whole Pergamum thing. Uh, But but yeah, just to kind of wrap up this one thought, though, before it gets away from us, um, you were mentioning that the most uh, that the vast majority of the artifacts from Pergamum are in the museum, the Pergamum Museum in Berlin,
2: in Berlin. Yeah. And,
0: And And my
2: brain just automatically goes, "Ooh, I bet Nazis did that.
0: Well, and it's no secret <laughs> that the Nazis and Hitler, in particular, were really obsessed with the occult, and that that uh, uh, was Himmler, wasn't it? That um, uh, the guy with the glasses—I uh, think yeah. it was Himmler, Heinrich Himmler—was the one that Heinrich was, Himmler. He was particularly devoted to the occult and really kind of manipulated Hitler to some extent into this sort of godlike status and and he he tried to incorporate uh, a lot of occult things and and that part of Raiders of the Lost Ark was right you know the, the I
2: was gonna say now I can actually say that it's okay for me to be thinking about Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark because
0: because the Nazis like, really did sort the, of
2: the Nazis were really into that stuff
0: <laughs> and and it's interesting that Jesus refers to Pergamum as a place where Satan has a throne and this is the city that the Berlin Museum has basically transported to its location i don't know the backstory of the berlin museum maybe maybe a listener would like to research that and comment for us but but i don't want to
2: i don't want to say that as a fact it's just that like based on what i know of history and nazism and stuff it seems really interesting to me that the most most major collection of artifacts is in a museum in berlin yeah it just seems like probably that happened during that time period that would i'm just and like i said i didn't research it it was just where my brain went
0: yeah and and it's just one of those curiosities that's interesting to consider so all right anything else you want to talk about on this I don't think so. Okay. Well, okay, so uh, main points that we want to leave people with uh, for today is, is, and and this would be more of the application part, so the biggest danger that Pergamum is subjected to is sophisticated and convincing lies that lead them astray. Yeah. And and if there are Christians out there and churches out there that have given into a sophisticated and convincing lie, what would that be? Um, would it be, um, you know, I mean, my problem is I don't want to grab on to any particular issue and then create controversy that will ruin what we're trying to accomplish here. What we're trying to accomplish oh. is studying scripture, but... I happen to think the United Methodist Church is divided right now because of sophisticated and complicated and convincing lies. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say which side I fall on that. Um, Obviously, I think pretty highly of the Bible, so it might be easy to tell where I would go. And yet, that doesn't make it okay to hate certain people or treat certain people as less than human. It only means that we have become so blind and so... Balamized that a donkey has a better chance of seeing the truth here
2: so what about a church like um westboro baptist
0: yeah, well there's a great example sure
2: because i feel like a lot of people in that church have been deceived because there's not a whole lot that's very jesus in that church
0: yeah you're right and if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about this is the bunch that was going around protesting every time a soldier died in combat and was being buried at home, you know, they were, they were protesting because somehow they thought they were justified in that and really they protest everything all they were. Yeah. And they, you know, there's something twisted going on there and they've given into a sophisticated lie. So, yeah. Good, good example. Well, okay babe if there's nothing else for us to talk about on this one we're going to wrap it and uh and and move move on i guess so uh, mm-hmm. anything you want to tell our friends before
2: you say goodbye um i might be in studio next week when hey, we do this
0: that's right that's right yeah. that'll be fun I i'm
2: planning on it anyway
0: yeah I, that'll yeah. be fun i like it better when we do it together here in the in the studio i bought a new microphone for bethany just (laughs) just for that purpose all right folks i I
2: can say i can say to jasper listeners that i'll see you next sunday
0: awesome yeah at church well okay so for now uh everybody say goodbye to bethany (laughs) did you hear them
2: i did you did it it was it was
0: tens of voices (laughs) 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 and and say goodbye bethany (laughs) Bye. I love you, babe. I love
2: you.
0: Bye. Well, that's about all for now. We hope you've been blessed today and we hope you'll join in the conversation on the uh, Facebook group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. You can find that just by searching for it in your search box on Facebook. You can visit Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, also on Facebook, and there will be a link to the Facebook group in this podcast description. So we hope you join the discussion and uh, be a part of our uh, eschatology, that's the word that means the uh, study of the end times things. We're not really doing eschatology, but then again, we are and you'll just have to see what that means. Just outside the door of the GHM studio, I have Irma and Josie, the Scatology cats, who are just dying to get in and bring us around to some of that creepy end time stuff. So I keep the door closed so we can just study the word as it is written. And now We thank you again for your blessed participation in this enterprise, and I wish you God's very best. As I say, God bless you now, and go in peace to love and serve the Lord.